0: Hello, friends. Thanks for joining us again today for another edition of the Pinkleton pull Aside podcast, where we like to talk all things life, leadership, lessons therein, in the world of sports and comedy and books and pastoral world. And the, the lane stretches out, goes further and further. And if you've paid attention to us at all over time, you know, I will often say, I can't wait to have this person back. Well, today... Olivia Eldridge is back. I'm back. (laughs) Again, that was quick. And I got a feeling it may be back again. So again, we met at a conference several months back and in Michigan and had this incredible conversation and went off in a lot of different areas. And so the last comment Olivia made in the previous podcast was modesty. Yes, let's talk about that next time. So we've never done this before, but we have committed this whole episode to basically that topic, that pond of modesty, and where it stretches out into men and women, into purity, into sex culture, into a whole bunch of things. And it's something that's on God's heart, I think. And Olivia, I could set this up, but I want to hear from you. I want people to hear from you. How do we set this conversation up? Well, not just for me and you for the body of Christ, for people who listen, because it's clearly a hot button topic. No matter what word you use, we decided to use the word modesty, but it could go a lot of directions. How do we try to have conversations like this?
1: Yeah, it's a good question. Yeah, I think several things. The first is um, it can be these conversations feel really risky, really high stakes. And so the first is to say that you and I are friends and we are a sister and brother in Christ trying to live in the same direction of like a life with God. And so that, that, that means curiosity. That means mutual respect. Mm -hmm. That means openness between us and the ability to say like, Ooh, like I wish I had said that differently or like, Ooh, like the way you said that. Like was harmful to me or whatever. And so I think an openness and understanding of how risky it is. And so we don't have to say things perfectly, but we're trying to understand each other well. So that's the first thing. And the second thing I think is anytime you're having a conversation about reform always reforming that was a the term used by rachel joy welcher in um, a christianity today article about purity culture um always reforming i think those conversations need to start with who has been harmed um and what restoration looks like there mm. and that the path forward is the, that the end goal is restoration and so what does what do those things practically look like
0: mm. Well, and I think we That's both cool. agree we're learners here. We're not experts. Yes. W- when you talk kind of about the risk, I-, I told you, I'm feeling it. I reached out to about 20 women I'm friends with who are on very, ver- a variety of levels of prayer partners, of longtime friends, of people who aren't afraid to challenge me. And I know my wife even was a little bit cautious, like, Jeff, I don't know if you should be doing this. Like, this, but I'm just like, <laughs> I don't want to not do stuff. Like, I don't want to like avoid yeah. something because it's so tough Hey, Olivia, you probably have already got to know me well enough to know it won't take me long on any conversation to stick my foot in my mouth. So uh, that (laughs) that could happen. So why don't we get into this first? I mean, we kind of hit on some stuff before and take this where you want to take this, Olivia. You've been in this space and care about it because you've had some experience. You've had some background here. Yeah. Take that.
1: Yeah. So um, I grew up in a like a conservative kind of fundamental um evangelical church. Um and I think so I, I think there is both the setting and then my personal experiences within it. And so the, the setting was a really big emphasis on purity culture and modesty culture. Um, like it was it it was like books I read about um modest is hottest and that and that intense pressure on um the burden of purity being on young, like young women and young girls. Um, and, and the, all the, I feel like I was in many youth group talks about uh, like this idea that like women are a flower and sexuality is a flower. And anytime you have sex with somebody, you give away a petal of your flower. And so that when you get married inevitably someday that your future husband is not getting the full flower Mm. and I, I really obviously dislike that metaphor and don't feel like it's true. But it's also interesting that 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 was nearly exclusively in my upbringing pointed towards women or mm-hmm. girls, not like girls and boys. So that, like that's an interesting facet of all of this for me, how much has been directed not just in my experience, but the stories I've heard from other women I know who are trying to dismantle that in adulthood.
0: Olivia, can, we pause, also, can we pause right there for a second? Yeah. So I want to ask you, like when you say that about, because you definitely, maybe you're a little bit on the younger end of that, but you still would have been in a, a place where uh, that kind of, because uh, I know it's still going on where we would talk about purity and right. saving sex till marriage with youth group culture. And you know, obviously I think we both would say that's a, that's, a, that's a biblical thing. So it's a good thing. But do you feel like those conversations tend to be very one-sided? It's almost like, Hey everybody, this is for everybody, but hey girls, it's really for you.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, it's kind of like I I it feels like an an extension of the like teaching when i when i was young a, like a small child i remember being told that girls needed to be good but that boys got to be boys mm. um boys didn't need to be good and this feels like a larger and like re- religiousized, is that a word i'm going to say Yeah, I, like it. Religiousized. It. It. <laughs> I work in publishing i can do that right? <laughs> That's right make up words like a yeah kind of a a religious uh turn on that idea that it, it did feel one-sided and the burden was nearly exclusively on young women and young girls um, to maintain purity. Um, and like, what a weight, what a pressure and a, a lack of accountability for boys and young men um, and a, a standard, an unfair standard that like girls can never, could never live up to, you know? Wow.
0: Yeah. I, I want to go back real quick. I know we could probably insert this back in here again because I think it's so good. and We both seem to land on the same place. That that article about Rachel, is it, is it Belcher or Welcher? Welcher. Welcher uh, with Christianity Today. She She talked about, and you sent this article to me just so we're clear and everybody knows, this is an article you found and you sent it to me. So you obviously <laughs> had some, I'm guessing, remotely at least positive stance on it. She really talked about all yeah. this being about spiritual formation and about Always reforming, which I really like. I've never heard, I love two word phrases. That's a great two word phrase. And I think that's where in general, but I think specifically in this topic, I'm going to guess where you and I can really land the plane. With anything, we want to always reform. Where am I off? Where am I not right? Where am I growing in Christ? And, you know, I, I think it's fair to say you would use the term that you've been victimized in the past. And based on some stuff, I think we even got into in the last podcast, that would be more than fair to say. How do you think, you back then, you now looking at, at younger girls, how do we work through teachings that have been maybe off, wrong, 100% false or whatever, or we've been hurt, objectified, What? and I shouldn't say we, women, girls have been hurt, objectified, whatever. How do you move past that? Because it's obviously a process. There's pain, there's hurt, there's shame. We always hate the word shame. And try to move on and say, I'm going to champion. I'm going to be four. I've come out another side. And I know that's loaded. You're not gonna be able to do that in like two senses. but
1: right. maybe speak right. to that because
0: I don't think you look like, or sound like, or exude Olivia Eldridge, the victim.
1: Right. Um, I think, <laughs> yeah, I think several things. A group I'm a part of is having some conversations about the ways women have been harmed uh, in that group. And it's, the first step has been a conversation about a forum for women to say individually, like, these are the ways I've been harmed. And and for the men to get to say, how can we do better? Mm. Um, and women speak to that, like in front of a, in front of a group. Um, and I, so I think like I, the end goal for me of any situation in which I've been harmed or a victim, like my end goal is, Healing. I want healing. I don't want to be, I don't want to be under the weight of that. Mm. Um, but that, the burden is not on the person who was harmed to just get over it. The burden is on if there is a system that that was held up in, and somebody who perpetrated harm. Those are conversations that need to be had about reformation, um, about accountability, about taking ownership, and something that's really I really want to. Um, I think it's really important to stress for me. uh, I'm going to back up for a second. I, there have been two situations in my life in a church context that were particularly harmful around this. Um, And I'm going to get into some vulnerable territory, but one is that um, when I was in high school, my friend sexually assaulted me. And the only person I told at the time was my small group leader. And the first thing they asked me was, what were you wearing?
0: Was that, a, and, was that a man or a woman who asked you? It
1: was a woman, actually. Wow. It was a woman. But it was so it was so extrapolated from the teachings of both men and women at my church. Um, that again, this like this burden being on women, that if you don't want to be sexualized, then watch what you wear. But as as if any outfit would yeah. um as if any outfit could protect me from harm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that, I think that changed me. It, I mean, I don't think it did. It changed me. And um, it has been years of work to undo some of that and to realize that it wasn't my fault. I I so, I was young, I was 15. And I so internalized that, um, that feeling that I was broken. But that that environment of shame and just being disbelieved at this moment when I so needed to be seen and to know that. I, I mattered and I was valuable.
0: Especially as a first response. That really throws me away that that was, uh, and coming from a woman, that it was the first response was what we were wearing. I mean, how that's not going to lead directly in the moment soon as those words hit your ears into shame. Because I, you're probably going to think no matter what you say, it was clearly, no matter what you had on it was wrong, based on right. her question.
1: Right. And I think w- something I want to say around this is it is really easy when there are terrible stories like this to be like wow that's so terrible that one particular situation it's not like that anywhere else Mm -hmm. and i've heard this story from so many women of experiencing harm and and being asked things like what were you wearing were you drinking uh were you had you led him on um or even like those are I think kind of the most intense and harmful situations of, you know, uh, harassment or sexual assault, but even I think feeling like any treatment by men of women somehow is the woman's fault, you know, any, like any objectification, which I think is something we want to touch on later on, um, is, is the fault of the person being objectified or is the p- fault of the person being harmed um i think it's really easy to to be like well that was that one situation and i think the reformation is that this there has been purity culture and modesty culture has created an environment where shame and fear so get to it feels like they grow like mold <laughs> and you don't even realize how kind of how much it's touched everything and so um yeah so so to say yeah, that happened to me personally, like who else is that happening to? And I think it's important that it's not, um, it, it's, it's, it, it's the conversation on so many levels, like how we talk to kids and young boys and girls and adults, how we talk about it as adults, the effect that that has. Um, but I think as far as how do we, how do we start? I think it is from a place of uh, of wanting to hear of harm, which is, it's hard to hear. It's really, really, it's its hard to hear ways we've been complicit in harm, participated in, it, been perpetrators of it. So having like a solid self, like here, like I'm known and loved by God. And so I can hear ways that I have perpetrated harm and and be willing to take ownership and say, like, how can I do better? And that's in all things. That's yeah. we're talking about purity culture, but that's is that not Christian relationship in all things that we are willing to take accountability and be called to better behavior by mutual love and respect and our our desire to live with God. And that 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 we are we are called called to a higher standard with each other. And so a willingness to be called there, even if it means owning and being responsible for things.
0: Yeah. I think the the term always reforming just keeps going through my head. Cause I think that's something you and I would both again, agree that, that we're trying to do. And we would hope this, that to me, I don't, it does certainly doesn't solve everything, but I think if we could get people around that idea, that becomes a culture unto itself. Wow. I mean, what, what could happen even there to help bring about some healing and, and some conversations that are reversed and go in a good direction. Let me get back to, I think you were sharing some more too about just kind of your personal experience and where things have been hard. And we kind of got going sideways a little bit on the conversation, but what else were you going to share that way? That was, that you feel comfortable sharing?
1: Oh, about, yeah, my, I think like the experiences of being a victim Mm -hmm. of this. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think I've had another experience of, in a a church setting, again, wearing something that truly was appropriate to wear. Modesty culture was very big in my church. And the whole modest is hottest thing with with really arbitrary rules about what that meant. But I was wearing something that fell within those rules and was very appropriate and was told by a leader. I, I was on the worship team and was told by a leader that I was tempting my brothers in Christ. And I it was after the first service. So I I'd, I'd been on the worship team all through the first service wearing this at like a, an appropriately length, length, <laughs> appropriate length skirt an appropriate like sweater. Truly. Um, go, I remember going home in tears and feeling so much shame and feeling like it, I had caused my brothers to stumble and, um, and it was only when it was like it was a few years later that I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> that I, I was wearing an appropriate outfit. And also, even if that was the case, even if I was wearing an inappropriate outfit, it is is it not a fruit of the spirit to for people in the church and men to be taught self-control? That mm. being caused to stumble should be it, it has to be a conversation mutually, but that um that I think do men not need to be taught self-control need to be taught not to lust need to be taught how to think about women um and so the the burden wasn't i don't think there was a single man in the church service who somebody was like well i you know you you are accountable to your own thoughts you are accountable to god for how you think and talk about women the burden was entirely placed on me Mm. and i think that's that has been the experience of so many women i know um, the burden and the cost entirely being placed on them instead of those conversations being had in mutuality.
0: So you've used some terms that I know we we've all probably heard a lot about dress, about what people wear, and that's appropriate and inappropriate from your perspective, from a woman's perspective. I mean, clearly this is stuff. I, I love when I talk to you because I'm thinking about anything we could talk about. It's not like you've just thought about it. You, th- these are things mm. you reflect on, you read about, you care yes. about. You are you are clearly a passionate person. I don't know where that comes into play with your last name being Eldridge. I'm guessing they might have picked up some of that from you. What was your maiden name again, Olivia? <laughs> Rogers. Okay, the the Eldridges might be influenced by the Rogers. Let's, let's say it that way. <laughs> but how would you set up, if you were talking to a bunch of women, you know, younger women, whatever, where would the, where would there be conversation about appropriate or inappropriate, or is that not part of a conversation? Should it be part of a conversation? Where does dress come into play there with appropriate and inappropriate?
1: Yeah, it does feel tricky. And I I think there, the problem is I don't think there's one answer across the board. Mm-hmm. And, and part of this for me, I'm going to say something maybe a little controversial is it doesn't really matter like the treatment of women it doesn't really matter what they wear it it is in no way connected to the behavior of men towards them like there is nothing a woman could wear that would make inappropriate unwanted sexual advances okay that's just the truth of it but what we wear does matter. And so the, I think the challenge for me is that there isn't I don't think it's like, OK, skirts this length and mm-hmm. straps this length because I like dress codes in school also feel very sexist to me um, that they're squarely focused on women. And I i had a friend when when we were in high school who was wearing something um, that was short and our teacher made her get up in front of the class mm. and point out why it was. Oh, wow. Too short. Like, so much shame. So much shame. So, I think, yeah, as I think there isn't a, a specific set of rules, but I think what matters is how do we feel about ourselves? Are we respecting ourselves? Are we feeling what and what message are we trying to send with the clothes that we wear? I think there have what, been times in my life that I like in places of feeling unseen and, and, feeling and needing attention that my clothes have been more towards the direction of wanting attention than out of my solid sense of self. And so I think if that's how young girls and women are dressing for other people, for attention, for something there that's not being met in another setting, like not being seen by like friends or parents Mm -hmm. or um, people who are looking at them with unconditional love, that is it's self-destructive. Like that's not going to lead to life.
0: Yeah, It's interesting what you say, cause I haven't really thought about that so much, but you talked about maybe wanting attention and, and that can be an okay, probably somewhat pure thing as far as wanting attention with anything we do, how we present ourselves, how we have our hair, how we, uh, the words that come out of our mouth, you know, me as a guy, how I have my facial hair, whatever. And then there's messages we send, as you said. So like today I've got on my Indianapolis Colt shirt, <laughs> I mean, I'm speaking to, I'm an Indianapolis Colt fan. There's a message I'm sending out with that. I mean, what, what do you think with clothes in general? Let's, let's educate here. And this doesn't have to be obviously limited to women. This could be guys, this could be whatever. What kind of messages do we send with how we dress? And then what, where would be getting attention be okay? And again, I'm hmm, learning. I'm, I'm not yeah, asking questions I get the answers to.
1: Yeah. I don't, to be fair or to be clear, I don't have like an answer to this sure. either. Like um. Yeah, I think the message I want to send with my clothes is not for anybody else. It's for me. It's that I really, I love fashion. I love bright colors. I love interesting fabric. I That my internal world is as interesting and colorful as I dress myself. (laughs) I can see it.
0: That's true. (laughs) The internal and external, I think with you probably line up that way because you radiate a joy, you have a curiosity, and I think Mm -hmm. that probably speaks on all sides of you.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I think the message as I get older, the message I always want to send is uh, about anything—how I speak, how I dress, how I talk about other people, how I talk about myself—is um, is congruence. Mm-hmm. I want to—I want my inside to match my outside. I want congruence, and mm-hmm. so I think the messages we send with clothes should be about congruence. You love sports. It's so funny that like this is a podcast and the one of the things you say is lessons out of, you know, sports and life and pastoral areas. And I'm like, well, I don't play sports. Yeah. I don't know if we can talk about the Super Bowl. So you supersede all that. <laughs>
0: you supersede all that. I think I say comedy. You, you, you probably bring a little comedy, but you, you you go beyond. You're in your own category, Olivia.
1: Uh, well, I'm glad I, I if if I had to take a like test on sports to be on this, I would fail. So yeah. I'm very glad that I, I can fail too. That actually, yeah. <laughs> so, but I I think you love sports. That's important to you, and so the what you're communicating outside is congruent with your inside. Mm. And I think as far as attention, again, that's I don't know that I have an answer. Um, I think like maybe okay. As I'm thinking this out loud, I'm such an external processor, yeah you are. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I understand my reality as I speak about it. Mm-hmm. Something that I think is a help has been a helpful category for me is is the attention that I have a deep need that is going unmet. Mm. Um, I, I the like men in my life when I was growing up were not present, and so I really was so hungry for to be seen and approved of by a father figure. And so my desire for attention, I think actually was really beautiful. I really wanted to be seen. I really I wanted to be seen as good and beautiful and worthy. And so I think when our desire for attention when it is meeting a like a desperate need in ways that are harmful, I don't think there's life there. Mm. But when the desire for Attention is to be seen as good and beautiful, and to be seen clearly. Like that's really lovely. That it, that's not out of desperation or. Um, yeah,
0: that's a good word.
1: Scrambling, but mm-hmm. like, I I know I'm worthy. I I want to be seen as worthy.
0: You know, I, I think I've told you before. I love words like good, beautiful, redemptive, uh, thinking of God in His kindness those kind of things tied to attention can be a good thing. And I'm really curious because you're, I've told you before, I think you're very, very, very self-aware. If somehow John Eldridge ended up on this podcast and we started out the conversation by saying, well, Hey, it's great to have you. You know, it's been a pleasure getting to know Olivia, your daughter-in-law. Speaking of attention, speaking of fatherly figures, speaking of calling out what's good, what would John Eldridge say about you, Olivia? whether it's as a daughter-in-law or whether it's just as a person and as a follower of Jesus and a person who is always reforming, what would he say about you?
1: He would say that he loves me. Yeah. Uh, I did a a counseling intensive a couple of years ago that you go deep into your story, deep into trauma. And I realized something I really needed um, in some, in some places of deep pain and, and, like traumatic experiences for me was the eyes and words of a loving father mm-hmm. that that I needed healing around how a father would have responded including my sexual assault and how that was responded to um and uh I I love John he is he's my dad and so I invited him to there was a chance in the counseling intensive to invite um, somebody in to share some of your story with and have them see you and respond. And so um, he did that and, and got to see me in that. And it like, I, the tears are right on the surface as I, I recall yeah. that because he responded with such love and and being so seen. And so I think he would say, uh, I love her and she's worthy of being seen.
0: And would he pull out the color and the internal, external, the joy, <laughs> yes. the, the the passion, the student of all type. Would he say all those things? And what would he say that, that maybe you would miss about yourself?
1: Hmm. Yeah, I think he would identify the color, how outspoken I am that I am I have strong opinions and share them <laughs> really. Um something I think he would identify. I think when I first met luke and met uh his his family i was a pretty closed person and i didn't realize it a lot of harm and trauma from my past that i needed to work through and they've been front seat and and active participants in my in the in some of that restoration and healing they've like watched me come alive um and watched me become an, a more open person and so i think he would i maybe identify that but um i think I have become a more technicaler person over time.
0: <laughs> You've created like three words today on this thing. Are, are we gonna see these in future books you're working on? <laughs> yes.
1: Although I think technicolor is already a word. So that <laughs> one I didn't invent. It's just a it's, good one to throw uh, in. That is
0: hilarious. So, um, ironically enough, I, I pay attention. I think I might have told you I've been doing for the last several, several months the uh, verse of the day through the UVersion Bible app. And mm. um, I watch the devotional. I, I, you know, you, we speak about the things we're talking about. If, if someone wanted to know more about this and how just people show each other honor, I love the different types of, of men, women, young, old, racial, ethnic, you name it, that they do every day. There's someone different. If you go look at their recent, I think it goes back eight to 12 people. You can find out all types of styles, variety, flavors of what makes the body a beautiful thing. But ironically enough, in today, I'm not going to say the date because it won't matter once this comes out, but the day's verse of the day was this, Romans 12, 10 and I think they use the ESV, which is what I like to use, it said, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. And when I saw that today, I thought, how appropriate is this for me and Olivia's conversation? Mm -hmm. Outdo one another in showing honor. I need to do that with you. I need to do that with my wife. I need to do that with my sons and my daughter. I I mean, everybody, I need to do that with. And I think if we think that way, getting in whatever situation, wherever we go, whatever we do, That's pretty powerful. Another ironic thing that came about today, and you can give feedback if you want here, um, one of my groups of guys was meeting, and we've been walking through Psalms. Uh, This guy decided to lead us for, I don't know, four to six meetings, and today he was talking about repentance. And he said repentance Mm. has four components to it. He said, number one, and this is based on Psalm 51, there's a cry to God for help. Secondly, it's naming the sin. Third, it's asking for cleansing, healing, forgiveness, and restoration – Four, it's a pledge to follow and seek restoration of unity with Christ. And clearly that would apply to people as well. Where does that, what I just said about the verse, Romans 12, 10, but also in Psalm 51, how it lays out repentance, where do those two things fall right in the lap of modesty, of of sexual culture, of purity, of everything we're talking about here with men and women?
1: Yeah, that's very interesting, the timing of that. Oh, it's crazy. Yeah, so cool. Yeah, I think, yeah, I, I think I said this at the beginning, but this idea of reformation, when we want things to change, something we have to acknowledge is the ways, is how it has been. As we identify how it needs to be in the future, we identify how it has been and how the ways it has been have caused harm. And so it is, it's been really significant in my life. Um, like like the example I gave of the the group I am a part of that's having these conversations about the ways women have been harmed, um, it's been really significant for for there to be open space for women to say, like, here is, here is where I've been hurt. This is where I've been missed. Like, this is where my mm. – that I am made in the image of God, and that has been utterly dismissed. Mm. Um, and, and for that to be heard um, and for there to be repentance – and and then for the the real constructive conversations of like women, where are you being missed? What can men do to see you more? Um, and and with like with an open heart, I so appreciate our conversations because we are you ask questions in good faith. Mm. Good faith questions are integral to reformation and to restoration. And so I think it's it is open spaces for sharing and for lament and grief and repentance. And that is the solid base we move Mm. forward out of. Like, that's not the place that we live. Like, we don't have to live in, um, it's not a chance to shame all the people who have perpetrated harm. It's not a chance for a public lashing or Mm. something, but a chance to say, you have hurt me and this is real. Mm. And for them to say, I'm sorry. I apologize. I want to do better. And then a chance to say, what does reformation look like? What practical things, like what can we think of differently? What, how can we speak differently? What verses maybe need to be written in our hearts? What attributes of the character of God should we be holding close as we move forward? Oh. But I think repentance is integral to harm being Field. Yeah,
0: there's no way that c- could not be the case. I think I want to ask you this. So we right. we had talked in some texting we did beforehand about obviously we needed to land this heavy and hard about men and women together. But I, I said something about like I want to talk a little bit though about women with women. Like I saw some posts on so- yeah, social social yeah. media after the Super Bowl, and I'm not sure where this was being funny versus where this was being legit. I think it was I think it was supposed to be legit. It was uh, some some commentary about girls at Hooters talking about stuff kind of shaking their head about it was either rihanna or it was about some commercials or something with the super bowl and initially i saw it and i, I kind of interpreted it like it's supposed to be a joke but i'm like no i think this is pretty legit so how do women help women leaving mm. men out of the conversation a little bit not, not that we can ever really do that but how can they help each other be seen be heard yeah um you, i like how you said not being missed because so often we talk about yeah. being seen, but it's it's largely, too, they sound synonymous, but not being missed. How can women help women in that in a way that uh, goes from, like you have, from victim to, you know, working through and coming out the other side, being a champion and really fighting causes for one another and for a group of people?
1: Yeah. Groups of people. Yeah, I think it's a really important identification. I mean, that is my own personal experience after I sh- shared about my sexual assault and was disbelieved by a woman who I trusted mm-hmm. um, and the harm of that. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I think we have a responsibility to do our own work that I think so often poor responses are from internalized shame, internalized pain that we haven't dealt with. Um, you know, I think like I, the some of the first conversations I had about race, real conversations I had about race, there was such a white fragility in me. I was so defensive Mm. of, um, I mean, this is years and years ago now, but I was so defensive of myself. And so there was such a fragility and an unwillingness to admit fault. And I think when that is our response to the pain of other people, when that is our response to the harm of other people, that says something about us, some work that we need to Mm. do um, work that we need to be willing to, uh, yeah, say that we talked about this last time, say like, I was wrong. I was wrong. I'm, and I'm willing to hear where I was wrong and I'm willing to reform. And I want to, um, I want to not be fragile or brittle to feedback or to accountability. Um, and so I think it's really, it's, it's been very interesting to watch stories come out about, largely men in churches, ministries, so often mega churches, it seems like, um, where allegations of sexual misconduct come out and how immediate people mm-hmm. are to disbelieve the people who come forward. And this is just statistically, I'm seeing this mostly as women being victims and like men being the perpetrators. Yes. I, that is not always the case. I think it's very important to say that in, in cases of sexual misconduct, that is not always the case. However, that is the statistic I'm seeing. So I, I, and how quickly I, I really you you see people coming forward with these allegations and this pain and how quickly they're dismissed and disbelieved because it presses on something for us that if I, if I admit that this this person who I respected and who is a spiritual leader for me has done harm. Like, what does that say about me and my ability to detect good leadership? What does that say about me? And, and that I like got good teaching from them. Like, what do I do with that? You know, I think you see this in Hollywood with actors too, Like, I would be so crushed someday if something came out about Tom Hanks. I -hmm. love Tom Hanks. I would be so crushed if, like, the Mr. Rogers of Hollywood. Denzel
0: Washington, he'd be the same way.
1: Yeah, right. And so, but it's that thing that our, I think, how we view authority, how we, the, the, like, good things we've learned from leaders when they have a downfall. we can be so fragile to that because we're afraid of what it says about us. And so I think as far as women relating to women, I think doing our work and then identifying when there is fragility in us, that maybe we're not responding well, what is that coming from? Like what, and what needs to be addressed? Mm. And I think even if we are, needing more clarity, even if we're needing deeper understanding, just to say, I see you. Your story matters. Yeah. Your story matters. Like tell me more. Tell me everything. I I just think to be met with empathy and kindness and curiosity in situations of pain, like that is a difference maker.
0: Whenever I hear you use the word story, I'm thinking. I know, obviously, you know Dan Allender, and I'm thinking, gosh, in your neck of the woods there in Colorado, you guys are getting it good. When you get with, with the Eldridge family and Dan Allender and these people who really know and understand and dig into story and each person's story, uh, there's probably a little bit of an advantage you got that some of us are probably jealous of. Um, <laughs> let me let me ask you this, Olivia. So we we were reading, you know, the the Welcher article from uh, Christianity Today that you sent me, and I sent you one. I'd stumble across on the Gospel Coalition page. And, and um, Rachel Welcher was commenting about, she used to be a teacher, and she said she got to the point in her teaching where she quit really doing tests And she said she needed to go more to essays and conversations and projects because people quit. It was just like, get the thing done. It's not like, let's really think about it and have questions. And I don't know about you, and that article really resonated with me because I remember in college, and even in high school some, when I had that, I could go to the class the day before and the teacher, the professor would basically go everything over the test. I didn't have to pay attention at all. And it's like, well, let me just get the test done. And then she said at the end, and I really think this is a great way to head towards a close. She said, we are imperfect disciples continually grappling to understand God and his word better. We will make mistakes along the way, and this will demand regular reflection. Reassessment, reforming, humility is required not only for conversion, but also for the entire Christian life. And that seemed like a great theme to me. A just a good word. Kind of with where we are with this whole thing. I mean, if you're if you don't want to follow Jesus, in my opinion— This conversation is going to be all over the map because, you know, we had texted some about selfishness and how that relates to marriage and how that relates to any and all these conversations. And you put a good kind of stop gap in there that, you know, maybe there's not ways that that connects with the context that it was talking about with marriage. But again, if we're only going to do our own thing and oppose the gospel, in some ways there's not really a reason to go after this at all, and let's just stay in our own lane, think what we want, harm people as we harm people, but because Jesus is Jesus and we believe the gospel, we want to follow Him. It's iron sharpening iron. It's getting on the anvil. It's saying, Holy Spirit, do the work in me that only You can do. And I think from there, where wherever we develop that around us, conversations, essays, not tests, projects, not quizzes, that that seemed to really resonate with you too as well with what Rachel Welcher was saying with that.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I I think the idea of, yeah, life is not a test that we can regurgitate answers to, you know, like, it's, at, like, it's so that the shift from um, being able to just repeat information to be able to being able to think critically and mm-hmm. apply and synthesize, like, those are such valuable skills that go from the classroom to the actual world. And so I think, yeah, thinking being able to think critically, um, wanting to reflect ideas back and forth, and I think knowing the right people to talk to mm, about this—like yeah. I'm really something Luke and I have been talking about recently—is sometimes there are conversations that are things that we should, we need to process and reflect back to each other, and sometimes there are things that, yes. it, it, like he should talk to somebody else about, or I should talk to somebody else about. Like it's knowing that's why we live in community. We so we we talk, we're having conversations. Um, that enrich our thinking, that challenge our thinking, that enrich the ways we engage in the world and in our community. And so it's, I think, talking to the right people and in a, in safe environments. Um, but I love the idea that how we think about things, critical thinking and what that does to our internal world is as important as, as any answer we could just give any Bible verse. I could quote that a Bible verse is great, but has that actually sunk in? Is that actually changing my thinking and my living and my speaking?
0: Yeah. Well, Olivia, we're gonna put a stamp on this one. I I just want to encourage you. um, You know, it's funny. We both, we've had some dialogue back and forth, some texting. I left you a voicemail. We kind of started off by saying, and this, this was also my voicemail. It felt very heavy, You talked about risk and and the risk involved in a conversation like this. And I'll tell you what, almost the moment we started talking, it was kind of like the the time we met. I mean, I just felt very freed up to talk about this. I trust you. Um, I think we both give each other grace and mercy that mistakes can be made. We might say something that hits the other one wrong or whatever. And I want to really encourage people, if you go back to season three, episode two from January 12th, if people want to hear the previous conversation with Olivia, I'm going to go out on a limb and make a risk here. Are you good and willing to do this on a regular basis? I think we got to not not just have you back a second time. I think this is about every, I don't know, a couple handfuls of episodes, you and I need to pick a topic and roll with it. What do you think?
1: Love it. I'm in. This uh, is great. This every, is a great way to like think about the world and our place in the kingdom. Yeah. I love it.
0: Everybody heard it. You can't back out now. We're locked and loaded. Uh, no
1: take backs. This is a legally <laughs> binding agreement. <laughs> it is. It is. <laughs>
0: Well, thank you my sister in Christ. It's it's uh always good to thank chat. You. This was life-giving. I feel like we could have three more parts of this conversation, but uh we'll pick up and we'll think of it a topic. It could be a
1: 5 hour podcast. That's right.
0: That's right. All right, Olivia. And thanks. I want to thank yeah. you
1: for asking questions in good faith mm. and really wanting to explore. You don't have an agenda and I really I, I really appreciate that. Wow. I think that it matters. It really matters like the moments where they, they've been these kinds of like heavy topics to have men in good faith say mm. I really want to know it it matters so wow. thank you
0: that means a lot that's humbling and it's the teachable spirit I want to keep having so
1: thank you for have modeling great, that
0: thanks have a great day friends and uh check out Olivia again episode two season three January 12th uh she was on with us and it's out there for all to be heard have a great day Thank you for joining us on the Pinkleton Pull Aside podcast. You can reach Jeff at GatheringMiamiValley.org or find us on Facebook at The Gathering of the Miami Valley. Join us again next week for another honest and rich conversation. The Rise FM Podcast Network.